I love this church. <laughs> we're, we're, like, we're like such a family. Oh, we, we we're just growing closer together. <laughs> All right, let's go. Refocus. Let's regroup. <laughs> All right, First Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 11, verses 29-33. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we should not be judged. We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined with the Lord. Wait for one another. Lord, we thank you for um, this passage. There's so much in this passage that you're teaching us. Lord, we are we are really want to hear your voice. We want to Lord, be in, tr in the truth as Christ is in the truth. I always wonder how you determine the thoughts, the intent, the things that you want us to be taught. There's so much to be taught, so much to learn. And I always um, wonder at how we arrive at certain topics. And Lord, I don't plan them. You lead and guide and, and you bring us to specific considerations of things in your word and so we take that very seriously Lord I don't have a plan I just want to follow you that you would speak to us that we would grow for who knows the mind of the Lord but we have the spirit of God that knows your mind so we pray that you would um, open our ears and help us, Lord, to, to listen, to learn. Help us, Lord, to um, receive what you have for us and help me to speak clearly and to not say things that are confusing. Help me to qualify things that need to be qualified and that I would not have to qualify everything that does not need to be qualified. Give me wisdom in speaking. Apply and interpret, Holy Spirit, this word into the hearts of every person here. I can all, all I can do is speak. I cannot interpret it for them. That's your work, Holy Spirit, interpreting scripture, Lord, to those who are spiritual. And so I pray, may your word be magnified today. May your you, may we learn and grow in Jesus Christ today. May we take to heart what we are being taught. And so we, even if we don't understand it, it's amazing how sometimes we, we can hear things, we don't understand it, but we treasure it. We hide it in our hearts for the day will come that at the right time you give understanding and things come, become more, uh, more real, more understanding comes. And so help us to treasure to hide your word in our hearts, we pray. Amen. So what does it mean to discern? We're looking at this, um, at this passage of Scripture just because of Paul's exhortation, and he is pretty serious that, um, that, 
that we need to discern the body. We need to have something, whatever that means. I haven't told you really what that means yet. But what in the world does it mean to discern the body? It seems like something serious is attached to it because it pleases God to then make some weak, ill, and even die. And God sees that fitting for those who fail to discern the body. And, and he's king, he's God, he knows. If he's doing that, then I'll assume that this is a serious thing. I'll assume that he's that there's something dangerous about not discerning the body. There's something that compromises something in the integrity of the fellowship. I have to just assume that. I may not understand it. You understand that you could always just give God the benefit of the doubt. Is that okay with you guys? Sometimes you don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have to understand the science. Although, oftentimes through the word of God, God helps you to understand the science behind what he does. But sometimes he don't. And it's like you say, you know what, Lord? I give you the benefit of the doubt that you know exactly you're wiser than I am. And you know that in the failure to discern the body, something is compromised in the, in the integrity of the body that God has to deal with it. He can't, can't let it spread. It's pretty serious, right? He loves his body. He loves his people tremendously. And so, um, so yeah, so just... just um, Let's listen to that and how, what, what is it God is trying to teach us? So what does it mean to discern? We said that to discern refers to an ability. It's something that, that comes to us. It's not just something that you do, but it's, it's an ability that you possess. You possess an ability. And I have filled them with the spirit of God with ability and intelligence. Secondly, it refers to a spiritual ability. Um, something that not necessarily is not in the natural um, discernment um, is, is spiritually, things are spiritually discerned. So you're going to have to learn certain disciplines of God to begin to and become spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So th the way it, it, it's spiritually, and if you don't know what that means, Study the word of God and find out, Lord, what does it mean to be spiritual, right? What does that mean? It is a tough topic. It is not a, not a straightforward, but there is this other realm. There's this other uh, life, right, that, that Christ ushered in through the Holy Spirit, right, this new creation, this spiritual world, this, this new thing that God did in Christ, and that is spiritual, and, all the, and, and in that spiritual life, there are faculties of sight and sound and discernment and understanding. So, so that if, if we've been truly born again, we, you are a spiritual person in the essence. But in this sense, God is so much spiritually mature to be able to discern. Thirdly, and this is the one that we want to understand a little bit better, and that is that discernment is a mental, it's a mind, a spiritually, I could call it a spiritual mental ability, not just a, a natural mental ability. But, you know, it's, it's, I want you to understand that the mental capacity to discern is coming from the spiritual realm, not the natural realm. But it is a mental because in the spiritual, like I said, the spiritual life that we have in Christ is a real life, is a life that, could, that possesses sight, possesses senses, possesses the ability to think, right? This is this new life in Jesus Christ, amen? We have the mind of Christ. And so we, well, 1 Kings 3.12, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning mind. 
So, so th there is this aspect, this faculty of the mind, and we began to ask the question, what does the Bible teach about the heart? Quickly, in the Old Testament, the heart is the source and center of the life of man. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In the New Testament, the heart will really function as the moral foundation of man. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart in the New Testament. Right now, what does the, what does the Bible teach about the, the mind, what, particularly the New Testament? What does the New Testament um, teach about the mind? What, what, we, what we find out is that the mind is not separate but distinct from the heart. In the Old Testament, the heart and mind was just, just like one big thing, one, one unified thing. It didn't really matter. The, 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 in the Hebrew language, there was no distinctive word. In the, in the, in the Greek, now we begin to have distinction between these, these, two, these two faculties, these two realms, but I, I really do think the heart is foundational so that, the, that you cannot separate them. Um, and the peace of God which surpasses all our, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Secondly, um, the writers of the New Testament, um, they, they, they see the, the source of our mind to be in Christ Jesus, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So that, so that now, the, the, what we're talking about, the mind has its source in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's not your IQ in a natural sense. It is the resources, the mental resources, the mental uh, capacity of Jesus Christ that we, that we have by the Spirit of God. Amen? So, so, we, so we, we, we see this mind uh, renewed, given to us in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And then thirdly, we find that the New Testament writers provide, uh, tell, they teach, they teach the mind as the moral control center. So while the heart, on the one hand, is the foundation, um, for the New Testament writers, the, um, uh, the mind will now be a control center that regulates, maintains the, the moral foundation of the heart. All right, so, so th this, this will be new territory. Um, this, this really emerges out of the teaching of the New Testament because now that Christ has come, now that we have new faculties in Christ, we have redeemed faculties in Christ, we, the new man has come. Amen? Praise God. The new man has come. We're not waiting, right? The new man in Christ Jesus the new race of Adam, right? This new phenomenal race. This is a glory. There's no movie that's been able to capture something like this. There's this new race of the new Adam in Christ that is going to be phenomenal. Amen? And we're, we've landed. We're here. Amen? And we're going to be like in Ezekiel 36 when God breathed. And bone became bone, flesh became flesh, and you got what? This great big contractors, <laughs> great big what? Come on, what was it? Army, militant army. Well, that 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 race has come in Christ, and this 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 mighty army of Christ's people are here, and that's you and I. Amen. Amen. So we have a new life. We have a new life in Jesus Christ, and we want to understand that life. So the New Testament will, will bring new territory 
And so we began to say, what are some ways that the New Testament writers speak about the mind that reveal the mind as the moral control center? And so we're going to continue today, but last week we, we gave you one. I gave you one, and today we're going to give you another one. But to, last week we looked at that for the New Testament writers, they understood that the matters pertaining to life and death, the matters pertaining to life and death, depended on the disposition of the mind. And we read that from Romans 8, 6, and 7. Romans 8, 6, and 7. Or just verse 6, really. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? What is it? Death. Take that seriously. I know you should. We read these things and we're kind of familiar with Romans 8. Sink your teeth into that. To set your mind on the flesh, that which is carnal, that which is of this world, that which does not belong, that is not of the spirit, is not just a bad day. It's not just, ah, oh, what a bummer. Is what? Death. To set, not the heart, to set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. That's new territory. In the Old Testament, that's where to set, to set the heart on the, you know, on the flesh is death. But now the New Testament is going to nuance it a little better. I think it's going to be very helpful. There's going to be a reason why the mind takes on kind of like a, a moral priority in the exhortations of the, the apostles. They're going to understand the mind. They're going to understand, you know, how, the role that this play is going to play in your life. The mind. And I'm hoping that you can really hear what I'm saying because I believe that if you do hear what you're saying, what the Spirit of God is saying, I believe you're, you're, you will be blessed. You will begin to enter into new territory of greater life and peace. Amen? How many want to enter into new territory of life and peace? Well, that's going to be an issue of the mind. Right? This is not an issue of salvation. It's not to say to set the mind and the spirit is, is, is salvation. No, you're saved. But the quality of your life, to, to the degree that you can enter into the victory of Jesus Christ and to really walk, right, in time and space, in, vict in the real victory of Jesus, will depend a lot on the mind. And I'm just hoping that you can hear uh, the, the, the exhortations to really take this role of the mind very, very seriously. So today we're going to continue to consider how the New Testament writers reveal the mind as the moral control center. I'm going to just lay some foundation. I'm going to try and convince you that your mind is super important for you. That your mind, you're going to need to give a little more priority to your mind. And that there's a way to give priority to that mind. There's a way that you're not left to yourself to figure it out. But that there's strategies by the word of God how... You can, your mind can be set free so that you can enter into life and peace and by the Spirit. Amen? 
to, uh, to begin to deal with the things that afflict us emotionally, the things that afflict us anxiety, right? All those things, trust me, are an issue of the mind, especially if you're a believer. And I'm the unbeliever. As we said on Thursday, every single person that, it does, that it is not in Christ is full of the devil. It's possessed by the devil. How do we know that? The Bible teaches that if you don't have Christ, you are in the domain of darkness. Right? There's, it's just different degrees of darkness. <laughs> but at the end of the day, those who do not belong to Christ, the only people who have been delivered out of the domain of darkness, out of the reign, the rule of Satan, are only those who have fled to Christ. Amen? So I know that oh, that's, that hurts because we have loved ones. Right? But we cannot say, well, you know, we have loved ones. And so the reality is that only us, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, have been set free from the domain of darkness. Everybody else is in the grip of Satan. It's just black and white. Sometimes we just got to realize that, you know, either we are in Christ or we're not. There's no in between. But, you know, so much of our affliction sometimes as a believer now we're called to, to a discipline of the mind that God does not call the unbeliever to that discipline of the mind. Why not? Why doesn't God call the unbeliever to really, you know, discipline the mind? They have no power, and their lives are completely under the, under the, they need deliverance out of the darkness of Satan. And then when Christ comes in with a new heart, amen, with a new spirit, and now there are things that by the spirit we can begin to walk in. Amen? So we, we need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. We, we need to be indwelled by the Spirit of God so that we can put into practice by the Spirit, and right, by the work of faith, we can put into practice these things that really allow us to enjoy all of the benefits that Christ has for us, all the things that Christ has come to give us. Amen? So, so, so let's, let's put into practice those things. So we're going to continue to look at what the New Testament writers revealed Things that they wrote that really show the mind as the moral control center. And today we're going to look at one more. Next week we'll look at another one. Okay. So what are some ways that the New Testament I speak about the mind that reveal the mind as the moral control center? Number one, we said the New Testament writers understood that the matters of life and death depend on the disposition of the mind. Secondly, the New Testament writers understood that a person's way of life is primarily a construct of the mind. A person's way of life is primarily a mind thing. Look at, look at Ephesians 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Let's say it together. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. The New Testament writers understand that the way you live 
primarily be a byproduct of the mind. Paul strongly exhorts the saints, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles are. So some of you might say, how do the Gentiles walk? Oh, they walk like this. <laughs> so Paul's saying, don't walk like that no more. <laughs> Is that what he's saying? Some people that, you know, you'd be surprised some people that have never have read the Bible for the first time. You know, oh, how did they walk? They would walk with Olympia. <laughs> uh, no, uh, what does Paul mean by um, no longer walk? The Bi- uh, in the Bible, um, the, 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 the word walk is going to be a, uh, so in the Bible, the word walk. And we all instinctively, I hope, we all instinctively kind of already understand what Paul is saying to walk. Is he, is he talking about this? No, he's not talking about that's walking, right? So that's physically walking. He's talking figuratively walking. But what does figuratively walking mean? What does that mean? Well, you can't figure it out. You just got to go to the Word and let the Word describe. Be careful to go, I know what that means. Let's just go to the Word. And, and, um, and you find out that walking in the Bible um, is a metaphor for two distinct but very related activities. Um, first of all, um, the walking in the Bible is often a metaphor for a person's way of life. The, the manner by which they go about in life. That, that tempo, that, that consistency, there are things that mark your life that are consistent. If I were to go, if I were to go with you for a whole month, I will find probably a consistency, a routine of how you live your life, right? How many on Monday you wake up at 2 in the morning, on on Tuesday you wake up at 6 p.m., on Wednesday you don't even go to sleep at all, on Thursday, you know, you get up at 4 in the morning. How many live like that? No, right? There's a certain routine consistency, not just in what you do, but in the way you think. So, this is, so, so it's not just bringing in the outward routines, but Paul's, the, part, the point is Paul's making that that outward routine is just the fruit of how you think. So in other words, forget about what you do. I can go into your mind, and I'm going to see a pattern. <laughs> I mean, you got, that's why I love the Bible because it's, I, mean, I tell I tell people believers are the best psycho- psychiatrists in the world and psychologists because we just have access to God's thoughts and mind. You, you know, it's the mind, right? So, so 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 walking, first of all, is this. This path, you, you, there are things that you do that are consistent, right, consistent. You know, you, you're not off the map. In fact, sometimes when life is inconsistent, we feel frustrated, right, because we, it got off, off, off of our groove, right? You ever felt that? Somebody throws you off your groove, you know? I could be playing the guitar, and then, um, you know, somebody plays the tambourine, and I'm like, throwing me off my groove, you know? You know, I mean... Groove is groove is very important, you know. You, you just have to like, you know, groove. You, you gotta have groove. <laughs> I don't care what. You, you, there's a groove in life, you know. It's like, you know? 
And so you want to have groove, you know, and, and we, we seek groove in life. We, we have a routine. We have these things that we do. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it scary almost? It's almost like I think Solomon saw that, and it freaked him out. That what comes around goes on. There's nothing new over the, under the sun, right? <laughs> he starts to examine carefully. You, there's, there's walking in the good way. This is broadly speaking, right? And then you have walking in a different kind of way. Look, Isaiah 65, 2. Isaiah 65, 2. I will spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is what? Not good. <laughs> like, so, so this idea of, you know, basically, broadly speaking, so a person either walks in a path that is good or walks in a path that is not good. And clearly in Ephesians, the path of the Gentiles is what? Not good. You need to think about that one. Right? That, that was a little tricky. <laughs> not good. Now, here's the other thing about walking. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, 17. Now, I this, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Not only does this walk, this, this word usually means just the way of life, just the way of life, but there's also another component to this oftentimes that this word is used, especially in the Old Testament, is that the word walk also is a life companion. Does that make sense? You're not just walking by yourself, but you're walking with someone. Does that make sense? So there's the, the, the walking is, there's a companionship. There's a companionship in the way. 
And you see that, in the, especially in the Old Testament, Genesis 5.24, Genesis 5.24 says that Enoch walked alone with, with God. Noah walked with God. So, so the word also brings into view not just you, but companionship with someone. So I believe Paul has both. Because the world's going to be such an unholy companion. So it refers to the person walking. When you think of walking in the context of Ephesians, think of a way of life that is walked in the company of others. In fact, we choose as we who we choose as our companions in life will shape us. Amen. What's that Spanish refrain? Dime. Tell me with who you walk, and I'll tell you who you are. Uh, there's something about this this walking, this taking on life, but in the context of companionship. That's why friends can be a gift from God or a disaster. Because friends are going to um, import this walking thing, and if they're like out of sync with God, they're going to draw you in. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Hey, young kids, listen to this. Took me a while to learn this one. Companion of fools, there's a price to be paid. You got to examine your friends very carefully. Who do you hang out with? If they are foolish, you will suffer harm sooner or later, right? Learn to walk with the wise. Learn to say, I know that person. He's up to no good. I know that girl. She's up to no good. I'm not going to be a companion of fools. I'm not going to provide because what happens is you're going to begin to strengthen each other. It's one thing to walk alone. It's another thing to walk with somebody. I mean, you could, you could go 100,000 miles with one person. You have, that, you have that companionship. Do not walk. Do not walk in the way the, way the Gentiles do. Now, how do them, you know, who are the Gentiles? So some, some of you might say, uh, let's go back to Ephesians 4.17. Um, the Gentiles, some, some might, might, new, might, might be new Christians, or whatever, um, and maybe they haven't read the Bible. But Gentile, Gentiles refers to physically, right? Non-Jews, non-Jews, right? So non-Jews. But don't limit that only to non-Jews. Gentiles is a spiritual reality, not just an ethnic or racial national reality. There is. You have Jews born in, right, Middle East, and you got everybody else, Gentiles, right, the Gentile world. But I want you to understand, Gentile does not just mean non-Jews. 
It really means everyone, whether Jew or not, who is alienated from God. Right? So Gentiles, in, in a spiritual sense, it's like, don't walk as the Gentiles do. And what Paul has in mind is those who, do, who, those who have no God. Right? That, 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 for the Jewish person, they knew exactly what a Gentile meant. For 4,000 years, the Gentile world was completely in darkness, right? They had, no, not, they had nothing. All God did was with his people, the Jews. But that, that principle is applied now spiritually. And you have the only people that God deals with is with whom? The spiritual Jew. Amen? Right, Paul said we are Jews inwardly, spiritually. We are the spiritual Jew those who are in Jesus Christ, and then you have everybody else. So the Gentiles. So don't just think, oh, the Jews, you know, some people could turn and take this verse in Ephesians, oh, we need to be like Jewish. We need to be Jewish. We, we need to hold the feast. No, no, no. Right? He's talking spiritually. Don't walk. No longer walk as those who are alienated from God. Amen? There was something toxic of the way those who are alienated from God live their lives. How do the Gentiles walk? How, why does Paul strongly urge the Ephesians to no longer walk, no longer have their manner of life um, as the Gentiles? The reason that Paul urges the Ephesians to no longer walk as the Gentiles is because they walk in the futility of their minds. Now, that word futility... The futility of their minds. I mean, this could be a whole message. The futility of their minds. There is a mental futility. The word futility expresses the state of being worthless, without purpose, useful for nothing. In the to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the worthlessness of their minds, in their purposelessness of their minds, in their good-for-nothing mindset. Fruitless. The mindset of those who are alienated from God. Listen to this. The mindset of those who are alienated from God is absolutely worthless. Completely good for nothing. There is a mindset that is completely garbage from God's point of view. This is serious stuff, right? Because at one time we walked in the futility of our minds. And I don't know about you, but this was a, a massive dump, dump truck. Right? <laughs> I mean, I had, I had a dump truck organization. <laughs> it was garbage in, garbage out, and I was very happy. <laughs> I mean, so, so let's not, you know, but the reality is we walked in this. Ah, man, that's why I'm so happy today that I'm saved. Amen? And so Paul strongly urges, he himself says, I, I say it, testify in the Lord. I've got something to tell you, folks. 
please, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's something worthless, something without purpose, something with going nowhere fast. Firecracker? Okay. I was about to say duck. <laughs> the totality of the outward life of the alienated person is futile in their minds. Paul understood how the mind functions as the control center. He doesn't say the futility of their hearts. He says the futility of their minds. It is the mind that will govern the way a person chooses to live. The mind. The Gentiles, they walk in the futility of their minds. The way a person's life, the way of a person's life is a direct byproduct of a mindset. It is the mind that will set the tone and tempo of that, of that person's life. In this case, in the Ephesians, a worthless mindset produced a worthless way of life. So Paul locates the Gentile way of life primarily in the realm of the mind. He's not denying the heart issue. He's not denying that. He's just giving us insight into the mechanism that contr is controlling guiding their lives. And believe it or not, the mind is going gonna, is gonna to take the rudder. Right? And Paul understands the New Testament right there, understand that you become what you think. Look at Proverbs 23, 7. I, li I like the New American Standard. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. As you think, that's how you are, right? It's not for as he thinks with himself, so he does. It's more profound than that. It's not just the way you think governs the way you act, which is true. But Paul is something saying more, more foundational. He's saying the way you, that's why we, we, we this mind thing, that's why, that's why we, 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 need, we need the Lord to, do, to really teach us the disciplines that he's given us by the Spirit of God, by the life that we have in Jesus Christ, to bring our mind, right? And that's why I think that what, what's keeping us from experiencing more of the, of the, of the blessings of Christ. Uh, Christ did not, like, die so I can have a, a, a nice house in Central Valley. <laughs> Uh, so that I can have some a cool shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, no, he died so that I could have life and life more abundantly. Amen. But what 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 hinders us is going to be primarily an issue of your mind. That's going to keep you in the desert, struggling. And that's why I feel like, Lord, help us to. I've been I've been practicing this on my own. I've been saying no. I'm going to praise God today for how I, I don't care how I feel. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to bless your name. Mind over matter. Remember that? <laughs> Mind over matter, right? We're going to know God is good. He's magnificent. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to, he's awesome. He's, if God is for me, who can be against me, right? 
like this is going to be, we're going to talk a lot about this because we're going to have to engage in this war. How are you walking in life? Take a, take a moment now to consider, are you happy the way that you're walking in life? How's your way? How, how, how is your way? Know for certain that the way you walk in life is a direct reflection of the way you think. For better or for worse. Amen? So this, is, this, is, this is good because it can help answer some questions perhaps that we might have about ourselves. Perhaps it may have some answers about, Lord, why do I always feel this? Lord, why do I always... I do believe with all my heart that oftentimes it's a mind issue. I'm not telling you exactly what way we're going to talk about that, but I believe the mind is shaping the way we feel, shaping the way things that we do, shaping it. That's the way God made it. The mind is not, that's not a fault, right? The mind is doing what it's meant to do. You know, but the question is, are, are we applying the things that God has given us in his word, Right? Do you feel that your life is futile, worthless, without purpose? That's what futile means. Futile means without purpose. Without, without, you know, feelings often come from those thoughts. So the fact that you may feel the sense of worth is probably a strong sign that, that there's a futile mindset that is growing. Now, here's what many people decide to do when they feel, oh, I feel worthless. What do they try to do? Let me find Something to what? To do, right? Let me find something. If I, can find, if I can just find the right job, I'm going to feel better about myself. Ah! Ah! What's that game show? The Big Red? <laughs> ah! Family Feud. Right? Ah! Nope. You're not going to feel better in a meaningful sense by what you do. You know, and these are the kinds of things that, you know, that can save us so much heartache because we're trying to find this existential meaning and we go here and we go there and all along it's right before us. And it begins with your way of thinking. People come and say, oh, I'm going to do something and but you will never elevate your sense of purpose by what you do. I know that we are doers, and I'm a doer too, and I like what I do, but that's not where I get my sense of purpose. And so, so this is a battle. Not that what I do is worthless. Uh -uh. It's great. But I don't do it to find purpose. And, and so we, we, you, you will only be able to elevate your sense of purpose by resisting the futility. Where? In the mind. If you're in Christ, there ought to be no futility in your mind. Because you have the mind of? I just want to encourage you. Um, Paul, look, look at Paul's encouragement um, in Philippians chapter 4. 
Look at in chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, Paul exhorts the church in three ways. Paul exhorts the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord how many times? Again. Look at that. Paul, you've written it down. We, if we wanted to say it again, we could just read it again. You don't have to say again. I will say, you know, chill. It's there written. I could read it as many times as I want. I will rejoice. Rejoice and always rejoice. But for emphasis, so that you might know that he's trying to tell you, read it again. <laughs> again, I will say rejoice. You love that? Is that wonderful exaltation? Beautiful. Of course, if you're like me, I'm already sweating bullets. Okay. How do we do this, Lord? Rejoice. <laughs> Uh, what do you do to rejoice? What do you do? Okay, rejoice right now. Exactly. <laughs> How do you do this? Well, he's commanding our affections. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't have control over my affections. Do you have control over your affections? You guys, you know, you know you don't have control over your affections. Right? You, can't, you have no control. When you feel sad, can you turn the button and say, okay, enough. Let's change the channel. If you find that trick, please post it on Facebook. I'll, I'll, I'll be, uh, th th there's no controlling of your affections and your emotions. Your emotions are what they are, and it is what it is, and you, and, and you can't control them. But you can manage them, but you can't control them. So, Paul, I don't like the fact that you rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, he exhorts um, that the Philippians should be known for their gentleness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Okay. So how do I do it? That word reasonableness is gentleness. It's really the word for gentle. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Well, I can't control what people, I can't control that. I mean, if people consider me gentle or not. And then Paul exhorts the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and something with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I was reading that and thinking, um, what's the secret to rejoicing, being gentle, never being anxious? He tells us in verse 8. Finally, brothers, Isn't it beautiful? This is great. I love this. He gives us a secret to entering to rejoicing. Gentleness. To overcome anxiety. He tells you the secret. And he, I mean, what a list, right? What a beautiful list. It's not like, Father, brother, whatever is true, thinking about these things. And as I, as I told you, you know, no, he, just, he, he brings, he says, finally, brothers, let me, let me put it to you in a different way. If you want to rejoice, if you want to be reasonable, if you want to, you know, not be anxious, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
exercise the faculty of your mind. Did you hear, did you hear what the apostle is saying? He's not just saying that to be, to be just be encouraged. <laughs> just, just, be, just be encouraged. No, no, um, no, he's telling you, hey, think, apply the focus of your mind all the time on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Give yourself because he understands that if you think about whatever is true, your life becomes. If you think about whatever is true, your life becomes. If you think about whatever is honorable, your life becomes. We can say it together. No. Let's reinforce it corporately. If you think about whatever is just, your life becomes? If you think about whatever is pure, your life becomes? If you think about whatever is lovely, your life becomes? If you think about whatever is commendable, your life becomes? If you think about whatever is excellent, your life becomes? If you think about anything worthy of praise, your life becomes worthy of praise. Paul is really helping us to think. So, you know, how do you examine your thoughts? If it doesn't fit this resume, throw it out of the window. Just throw it out. Don't dwell on those thoughts unless it fits one of these criteria. Amen? If it's not true, all right, uh, it's a lie. If it's not honorable, it's dishonorable. Right? You know, it, you, you, God will give you discernment and say, you know what? No. I know where this is going. I know where this way of thinking is going. So that you can be in, ex the goal is exceeding joy. The goal is not like, I'm okay, I'm content. The goal is exceeding joy. Amen? Come on, all of us live like on the lower levels of joy. <laughs> you know, on the lower levels. I mean, we're talking about exceeding joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The only way to get there is through the mind. As the Spirit of God releases you from all of these things, futile ways of thinking, that really all they do is assault your mind Assault your faith, and before you know, your life is just kind of just like blah. And we are content with living like blah. I don't know about you. I hate blah. I want to be. I want to be joy, right? Uh, what does what did First Peter say? With with joy that is what unspeakable joys, amen. And we settle for a, a, an emotion level of a three in a scale of one to a thousand. We're like uh, at least I'm a three. No, I want to be a thousand and one, <laughs> right? Amen. I want to be exceedingly joy because of Jesus Christ. 
I want to, amen, and I'm, and I'm frustrated that I'm not. And you said, neither are you. But we're, we're striving. And we're taking over, you know, we're, we're taking over. We're, gonna, we're not, nope, I'm not going to give in to that thought. I, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm, not, I'm sorry. Nope, 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 nope. Amen? And it's amazing how when you put, the, you, you stop. No, I'm not, no, I'm not. That's not honorable. That's not commendable. That's not pure. That's not lovely. Get it out. And it's amazing how that work of the mind by the Spirit of God, because we have the Spirit of God, it's not by the work of the flesh, it's not by, it's not by mental exercises, it's by God's grace. And he enables us to think on what is pure, what is holy, what is commendable, and to dwell there. And then we can begin to, it's amazing how that transforms us. Amen? I want us to be a joyful people. A people that just rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Amen? Let's, let's, let's strive for that. Romans 12, 2, and with this I end. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. This is the only way you're going to change there's no mystical operation. There isn't that doing something. This is the only way that our lives are changed is by the renewal of your mind. It's not by exercising this and this and that. It is a mind work of the Spirit of God removing the old mindsets of futility and allowing the mind of Christ, which you already have, to begin to emerge out of your life so that the life of Jesus Christ may be manifested as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, in our mortal bodies. Amen? So we got great promise for this life that Christ's life, Christ's mind, Christ's power and his reason, not in his totality that's coming for a future glorious day but yes little by little we're entering into the promised land. Amen? We're, we're, we're actually taking territory in a real way right now on this side of eternity. We're taking territory, right? Because Christ is invading us more and more. Our minds will be transformed so that we can live a life that brings honor and glory to Jesus. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Help us, God. Help us. In a day and age where there's so much assault on the mind, so much, Lord, just Lord, we're seeing people who just into self-hatred. And if they're not into self-hatred, they're into self-love. And we're like just a mess as a society. But, oh, God, but we are your people. And we're asking you, Lord God, what good is it if I say all this and we go home? back into the routines of our futile thinking. God, destroy these things in us. Destroy these patterns of thinking. Help us not to, Lord, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Lord, we have been trained in futility for many years, God, having lived without you. But now renew our minds, Jesus. Renew our minds so that we could be a joyful people, a people, Lord, who just rejoice in the Lord and in the power of his might. Oh, God, that we would be known as a people of great joy. 
What good is it, Lord, that we come to church, but we don't give testimony that we're full of joy? Lord, help us to enter into a greater, Lord, greater realities of the joy of Jesus Christ by the renewal of our minds. There's so much to be said, Lord, about this mind, which we trust you will enable us to say. But I pray that as we're laying these foundations on the, Lord, the vital role that the mind plays and how it keeps us down. And many times our lives are futile outwardly. We can see the futility. But it's not because you've abandoned us, not because you, you've given up on us, not because of it, because, Lord, we're allowing a futile mind to govern the way we think. And we, we come against that in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And we're praying that you would enable us, God, to be set free. Lord, even as Paul said, do, do no longer walk, no longer, Lord, that we would be able to identify those patterns, those way of life. And if there's companions in our life that are dragging us down, God, that you would cut up those companions. For he who walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so, Lord, we ask for your, your work, oh God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for this work of the mind. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I'm going to take a, a moment now. This, if you are, I want to pray. I've been, I might do this every Sunday as the Lord leaves. But I want to pray for those who may be struggling in their mind. And just need, you, you feel that there's a futility in your mind. You feel worthless. You feel, um, you feel that you know life is whatever. You feel, um, you feel down about something. May, may have, may have no, nothing to do with your sense of purpose. But if, if you do feel like that, I want us to take a moment to pray. So if you have, just raise your hand, and I, and I want to just, um, we have um, Brother Daniel here. Somebody can go and um, just pray for Daniel. Um, who else? Anyone? Take a moment to pray. For is that your? Um, Anyone else? Abby, you can come up and just, let's, let's, let's give it time. Uh, there's a lot of, let's pray that God would bring healing and discipline to the mind. And really, um, so let's pray. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Just take a moment, even in yourself, just to talk to the Lord and even now, just expose any lies of Satan. What is keeping you, even in this moment, think about what is keeping you right now from really in having a fullness of joy at this moment. There are things I can feel in me right now, something preventing me from the fullness of joy. And, and so all of us, I believe, have things that are preventing us. And go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that keeps me from a fullness of joy?
Lord, we just come to you. We want to grow in joy. Because, the, Lord, the degree of our joy will reciprocate, Lord, in our strength, in our strength of service, in our strength of devotion. We'll be dependent and corresponding to the joy that we sense from you. And I just pray right now, Lord, every one of us have things in our minds and whatever it might be, these things can be there for many years, ways of thinking, things that we anticipate even ahead of time that, that, that we don't like or patterns of thinking. I pray, Lord, unravel it right now. Unravel these things. Begin to set our minds free so that we may experience in greater measure, but we know it won't be a fullness. There will always be things that you're dealing in us, but I pray that in greater measure, we would experience the fullness of joy. Lord, Lord, a, uh, in, in increasing measure of the, of the joy of Jesus Christ so that our lives can be strengthened, God, so that we're not back and forth and up and down moving and stopping, but that there would be a consistency of, of the life of Jesus Christ that flows, oh God, because your life flows in us. Fill us with joy, Lord. Fill us with joy. Paul says that, the, Lord, that, that this life, the gospel, is not about food and drink, but peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord, it says the book of Acts, the church in the book of Acts, they, they, they um, were in the joy of the Holy Spirit, enjoying the joy of the Holy Spirit. There was a joy over that community, uh, a tangible, manifested, evidence joy that gripped that community to the point that they spent every day together. They gave them, they gave freely to the needs of the poor. But that comes through joy, Lord. And, and so we're asking. And yet our, oftentimes these things, God, are being hindered by the way we think. We think of things that are not pure. We think of things that are not honorable. We think of things that are not commendable. And we dwell there. And it, Lord, sucks our life out, sucks our joy. And we're left like a shell in church. Oh, God, breathe the Holy Spirit now. Breathe your strength breathe, O oh God, upon us that we would um, walk in newness of life by the renewal of our minds. So Lord, do this work, O oh God. Do this work in all of us. We all need it, Lord. Things that, that, that hinder the way and shape the way we think. Things that are perhaps, uh, Lord, shaping, Lord, this, the way Gentiles are causing us to walk the way those Gentiles walk. Remove them, expose them, God. And so we're praying, God, for the renewing, renewing of our minds as a church. Oh, help us to be a joyful people. And keep digging. Keep bringing thoughts, Lord. You're, because, Lord, more and more. So, Lord, I pray greater fullness of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that for our, our church. I pray that for believers all across the nation. Help us to be a people that will walk confidently. So we thank you this night, this Lord, this afternoon. We thank you for this moment to be in your presence. 
bless your people, Lord, as they, as they go home. May we, oh Lord, even in our tiredness, when we're physically tired, when we're physically weak, when we're down, Lord, discipline our minds to think on these things. And so, Lord God, we ask you for grace this week. We ask you for strength in all of our labors this week, all the times that we will spend serving the youth, serving God, preparing for the outreach. Lord God, may we walk in newness of our minds. So we thank you today. Bless your people as they go home. Strengthen them. Lord, we thank you for your great love, your faithfulness to us, Lord. We pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Don't forget that um, we need help. If anyone stick, stick around, we're going to tear down the stage. And we're going to put these chairs to the side. All the chairs are the side. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your day.